You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Hey, Matthew chapter 5. Would you do that? Turn to Matthew 5. It's in the New Testament. It's the first gospel. Matthew chapter 5. You may have already recognized. We're going to be talking for just a few moments inside of the Sermon on the Mount. Before I do that, I want to draw your attention to a sermon series because it isn't, we don't have any, any extra special graphic. We're coming out of a sermon series on convictions, which I'm convinced changed our church in many ways, revolutionized many families and brought us to a place in the dark world that we live in to understand the importance of believing something steadfastly and, and just sticking with it to the day we die or God calls us home. There's so much there to think about. And we are coming out of a very, very strong, strong series. But we're going to bring up again this year of discipleship. So I want to reintroduce to you the year because we just came out of about 16 weeks of discipleship with 40 men. We're finished. And we're rejoicing and we're regrouping for what we're going to call phase two of discipleship, which will start May the 1st through December the 1st, the rest of the year. So as you get introduced to that over the next three weeks... I want you to just be aware that there's, there's some exciting opportunities. Now, by no means is this going to be just some sort of little instructional message about, you know, the discipleship curriculum. But I do want to quickly say that our church family, uh, elders, deacons, men in our church, wrote the curriculum. We started with uh, the subject of approaching the gospel. We moved to applying the gospel, 10 applications to the gospel, and then how to read your Bible. And it was amazing. I, I loved the time that I had with the guys that I discipled. And we're going to be reintroducing this to a broader number of people in our church family. And ultimately, you'll, be, you'll come to a decision of being able to sign up and be a part of the next phase. So with that said, I want to call your attention to this amazing passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is going to tell us, you are the light of the world. These are amazing words coming from the lips of Jesus on a mountain in Galilee, in northern Galilee, off the shore of Galilee. And Jesus says these amazing words, Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Wow, those are some amazing words. They deal with discipleship. And so what I'd like to do is just take a moment and just... Take three simple words. Don't you like it when it's just three? Amen? Three simple words. And we're going to take those simple words and apply them to the text. And prayerfully, we will become together this morning bright lights in a dark world. First word. The word who. Who exactly is Jesus talking to? Well, again, in verse 14, we see clearly it says that you are the light of the world. So who is Jesus saying that to? Well, 
In the text, he was saying it to his disciples on a mountain. He was saying it to villagers from Galilee that had gathered together, believers and followers in Jesus Christ. He was saying it to them over 2,000 years ago. Yes, now, but these, these men were, were just ordinary people like you and me. So this morning, if Jesus were here in Hot Springs, Arkansas, in some amazing way, we were able to have him be the speaker this morning. How amazing would that be? Well, the message would still not change. And Jesus today would say exactly what he's saying to us through this pastor. You are the who. You are the light of the world. I could see these disciples and these Galileans on that mountaintop as Jesus looked at them and said that, not to the bright, not to the city folk, not to the educated, not to the seminary students. I mean, these were just hillbilly people, just regular ragtag folks from, I mean, they would have been the hillbilly of that day. I mean, they just, this was nobody that you would, that would have any kind of long degree line next to their names. In fact, when Jesus would have said, you are the light of the world, I think their reaction would have been, you look at me, not me, right? You ever been there? Has ever, everybody ever been in the situation where you're like, are you sure? You're not my pastor, Glenn Riggs, who led me to Christ at age 13. At age 15, I was called to preach. At age 16, he comes up to me after a church service and says, Hey, Eric, uh, listen, I have you. I, I've got a, a death in the family. I've got to go to Marmaduke, Arkansas and preach a funeral. So I'm not going to be able to go to a revival meeting that I've been asked to preach at in Dequeen, Arkansas. He said, so I've told them that you're going to be the revival speaker for those two days. And so I just wanted to let you know, I'll give you the directions to the church. I said, who? Not me. Dr. Riggs, I've got two sermons. And they're both 10 minutes long. That's pretty much all I know. I don't, I, 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 I no, that's, that's, you mean somebody else. He said, no, in fact. You're going, I've already given them your name, you're in the bulletin this week at the church, you're preaching the revival. And so here I, I found myself in a situation where I'm, I'm, I'm like, not me, but yes me. <laughs> and I want to go on and add this to that. This is how God intends to do his work today. He intends to do his work through ordinary people. He intends to do his work through people who are ordinary, just like you and me, so In us, he can do extraordinary things. In fact, he did something pretty extraordinary in this young Roman Catholic altar boy converted to Christianity. I preached the two messages on Tuesday night as I finished preaching. I I stretched 10 minutes of knowledge by talking really slow into like 22 minutes. It's still 10 minutes. I just talked slow. And when I gave the invitation... To my surprise, people actually walked the aisle, and we had two saved that night in that little church in Dequeen, Arkansas. And I said, God, how could you have used a little ordinary 16-year-old boy to do something so extraordinary as being a part of someone getting saved? But that's how our God is. And somehow we get the idea that it's someone else's job 
Surely you're not talking about me, preacher. Surely Jesus was talking, you know, to the pastors and to the elders and, and to the sophisticated and to the rich and to the people who have a name and can impact through their finances. No, he, he really, he, he was talking to them too, but a lot of times they don't listen. But he just talks to ordinary people because we usually listen. We usually have an ear. And that's who God's looking for today. Ordinary people. I was amazed this weekend as we had our men's on, men on fire retreat. And I sat there, I had very little to do with the retreat. I just went. I just signed up and I went. And I watched God use an ordinary church member like Josh Graham. Most people wonder if he's even a, who's that? Josh, I've never met him. He goes to the first service, he's quiet, he sits to my right, and he was here this morning with his whole family. And Josh was used of God this week and organized one of the most powerful 24-hour periods in, in our lives as men. Ordinary men like John Vashi. Who's John Vashi? Well, he goes to our church. He's, he's kind of quiet. He's, he's not someone who is ever really going to be on stage. He sometimes runs a camera or does a little media work. But, he, but I'll tell you, when he stood up in front of the men around the campfire and prayed over the men of that camp... The names of God. He prayed over us, all these names. And I'm like, John, this was so powerful. I mean, even this moment, 24 hours later, I'm still bathing in that prayer and thinking, wow, that was so amazing. Ordinary men like Daniel Brown, who stood and spoke for a few moments about how that he lived his life for so long by actions and doing until he found out that the Christian life is not about what we do, but it's about a person named Jesus And how his life has been changed since he began to develop that relationship. Ordinary men like John Schroeder, who stood passionately in front of us and gave his testimony and with tears streaming down his face, begged men to live pure and holy lives. Ordinary men like Jesse Lofton. Jesse, who attends a small group in our church, and man, he's all tatted up, and he's just a guy from California. And, you know, man, he just stood up and said, guys, if you don't mind, I'm just going to sit down and talk to you. And he sat in that chair and just talked to us as if he knew us and just shared with us what God had laid on his heart about his testimony. Ordinary man like Craig Connor, who stood and shared his, just some words and said, man, I don't really know what to say, but what he said went straight to the heart. Ordinary men like Luke Chittam, who challenged us to, to be healthy and to be strong for God and to care for our bodies. Ordinary men like Scott Mercer, who passionately stood in front of a campfire on Friday night and through tears said, we need to be men who are willing to repent. And say we're sorry to our kids and our wives and just be men of God, men on fire. Ordinary men like Kevin Connor, who passionately took the experience of, of many years in the ministry and raising children and the ups and downs of life, but yet simply passionately said, listen guys, Jesus Christ is the answer and he offers us an amazing life if we'll just live for him. Jordan Elkins, who led us in worship. You say, Pastor, I know some of these guys, but you mean they actually had a part? They did and they were men on fire ordinary men who did some extraordinary things. So here's the first question. Who exactly is the light of the world? And here's the answer. You, and you, and you, and you, and you. You are the light of the world. Second word, simple. Here's the second simple word. It's the word what? What? So we go to verse number 14 again. And we look at this verse this time, and we see it a little differently. You are the light of the world. Hmm. A few weeks ago, when we introduced the discipleship series, we 
preached a message. Many of you would remember we said that the Scripture says that you are the salt of the earth. We talked about the fact that you don't salt salt. And you don't light light. You light darkness. So Scripture says, what what is it we're supposed to light? You are the light of the world. The idea here is that Jesus is trying to get us outside the four walls of our church and be the light of the world. And he does it by using three illustrations within the text. And so our, our, our Savior, our, our, our King, the Master Teacher, breaks it down. He's so wonderful. He's so beautiful to give it to us where we can understand it. And he says, first of all, he talks about the foolishness of concealed light. He says it like this in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp. I mean, how foolish would it be to light a lamp, but then put it under a basket? I mean, that make any sense. But why would you light something and, and put it under something so that it would not light? Church, when you were saved, you were saved to shine. Don't hide your testimony. Don't hide it. Oh, listen, this morning, four young children saw it. Sometimes it's the foolishness of, of, of young people, of preaching. God uses the most, sometimes the things that we would dismiss and say, really, you know, what, what, are they, what, can, what can they teach us? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Some kids from the ages of 6 to uh, 12, 13, 14 taught us something very important today, and that is don't be ashamed of Jesus because that's what baptism is. Baptism is saying to the world, I am not ashamed of Jesus. And I want to show you what he's done for me. I want you to picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed. In church, this morning we learned from that baptism service that we too are not to be ashamed of the gospel. We were saved to shine. Are you a businessman with an office without a Bible on your desk? Are you a student in a public school or a Christian school? without a New Testament in your backpack? Are you, when you go out to eat at a restaurant, do you take a moment and just say, let's hold hands and let's pray and thank God for his provision for us? Not ashamed. I think so many of us love the Lord. I really do. I want to I say that because I, I, I don't think this is any kind of a an attack on our love for God and I also think that our lights are burning. Because if you are saved, you are the light. My fear is not whether or not we love God or whether or not our light is burning, but my challenge this morning is, are we hiding that light? Are we covering it up? Are we smothering the light? Because that's foolish. And that's what Jesus says. Nor do men light a lamp and hide it under a basket. What is the light for? The light is to shine boldly, brightly for Jesus. The foolishness of concealed light and then the faithfulness of courageous light. He attempts to illustrate this in verse number 15 where he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Here's what they do. They put it on a stand. 
One translation says they, they put the candle on the candlestick. They, they put it in an elevated place for all to see. Everybody in the house, it's giving light to more than just themselves. Lift it up. Lift it up as high as we can lift it. Lift the name of Jesus higher. Well, pastor, you don't know where I work. Oh, if you knew where I work, you'd feel so sorry for me. It's horrible. I mean, people that use profanity all the time. And man, I work in an environment where there's gossip and there's blasphemy and there's dirty jokes. It's just awful. I just wish I could work at the church or something. Well, let me say this about all the dirty jokes and the gossip and the profanity and the blasphemy. Let me, let me say something about working in that environment. Fantastic! Wow! That's incredible! Are you, are, you, are you serious? Because you're there for a reason. You are there for a purpose. Listen, Paul, in the book of Titus, if you take time to, to read the book of Titus, you're going to find something very, very astounding there is that as he talks in this little teeny book called Titus as he writes this letter. Paul talks about these, these folks in Crete. He speaks of them, well, the King James calls them slow bellies. I don't know what a slow belly is, but it doesn't sound good to me. If somebody walked up to me today and said, Pastor, you're just a slow belly. I'd say, ooh, really? What doesn't say, what, what's that? My ESV this morning says, liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's what these people are. And so Titus really didn't want to have anything to do with them. He's ready to rock and roll. Let's get out of here. But here's what Paul said. Read it. Read it this week. It's really cool. Paul says, that's why I left you there. I left you there because you can be a light. You can be a light in that environment. You can shine the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because the light shines brightest in the darkness. We're not to light light or salt salt. Why do you think God put you there? God put you there to be a light. And the darker the night, the brighter the light. We're to shine as bright lights in a dark world. So my question this morning for you is, Jesus shining bright in you? In fact, let me ask you a question. What is the most important light in your house? Is it the chandelier over the table? Or is it the small little light at the bottom of the stairs that's just one little bulb, but it keeps you from knocking your shin against the furniture every single time? I vote for the small light that saves my my, my kneecap. You see, sometimes we think we're insignificant What will our little light do? I'm going to tell you, hey, I know it's a simple little kid song, but this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to make a difference wherever I go. Recently, I've had the privilege of being a little more out in the community through a couple of avenues that God's given me the privilege of being involved in. And I'm so thankful to get out of the campus sometimes in the four walls of the church and get out into the community, invite people to come to church and actually see them come. That's why we're here. We're here to get out of, hey staff, get away from the campus every now and then and just go out there and be a light. Let's not just hide under our little titles and our jobs. Our church family is out there doing it every day. Amen. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm clapping for you and saying, hey, you've got an advantage we don't have. You're shining your light in a dark world. 
It's an amazing thing. Number three, there is the forcefulness of collective light. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment about this in verse number 14 again. A city, a city set on a hill. You know, an interesting thing is to remember where Jesus was at that time. Again, put ourselves in his situation. He's preaching on a mountain because this is the sermon on the mount. And if you've been to Israel like I have, you'll, you'll know this, that as you stand in high places and elevated places, you see that back then that's where most of the cities were built. They built and they fortified uh, their cities by building them up so that it was tougher for the enemy uh, to get to them, especially the Romans. And so cities were built on hills. And so here is this city, which is what? Like hot springs. It's house after house after house after house. And each house has a light. So you've got a house and a light and a house and a light and a house and a light and a house and a light. And boy, it's beautiful to look at a city on a hill whose lights are all shining. Sometimes when I'm flying over a city, you know, it's dark, dark, dark. And then you like coming near Dallas or coming near and you see all of these lights. It's just a really cool thing to see the lights shining brightly. And the Lord is talking about us, the church, when he says a city. The church is the city of God. You and I collectively, we can make a greater impact together. Can you imagine if this many people in 9 o'clock at 1045 actually took this message to heart and decided, man, this week I'm going to shine my light brightly. What kind of impact could we have in Garland County in the next seven days before we get back together? We shine brightest when we shine together. A city that is set on a hill. A city is on an, in an elevated place. We ought to be living in an elevated place. Not in a place of we're better than anyone else. That's awful. That's not humble. Not in a place that says, you know, I'm a Christian and you're not. Or I go to church and you don't. But living in an elevated place in the sense that our lights are shining brightly. We're setting them on a stand. We're not ashamed of the gospel. And we're humbly presenting Jesus to people in need. We are to be living in that place. If we don't shine, church, question, who's going to shine? If we don't, who will? It's our privilege. It's our responsibility to shine for Jesus Christ. Third little word. Who? You. What? The world. And then how? How are we actually going to do this? Pastor, can you come up with a plan? Can you, can you give us some instruction here? Well, let's go to verse 16 to begin our instruction. Let's go straight to the word of God and find as if he, did he tell us how to do it? Notice, notice with me, he said, in the same way. In the same way that I just illustrated about the lamp under a basket. That's ridiculous. Nobody does that. They set their lamp on a stand. This is the illustration. So here's how you do it. In the same way, let your light So shine before others so that they may see your good works. And as a result of that, they'll glorify your father who is in heaven. So three things we must do to shine our lights. Here's how we do it. Number one, we must surrender. We must surrender. Notice in verse 16, look at that little word that we would just normally read and pass right over. And what's the big deal? But today it's a big deal. Let. 
What's the definition of the word let? Let, let your life. Why is that significant? Well, the, word, the definition of the word let, I think it's just this. Just, just, it means just, just something that just happens. You just let it happen. It's not forced. It just, it just, it just happens. So here's the point. When you got saved, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, and you don't have to make yourself shine. You can just let yourself shine. Just let it happen. Let yourself shine. Because if you force it, it'll be a glare instead of a glow. We have to force it. I've got to be a Christian. Y'all want to pray? You ready? Let's pray. Hey, anybody got their Bible? You know, well, yeah, Dad, it's it's under the seat in the car. Well, okay, well, maybe next time, because you know what people think when you carry a Bible, like you're a Bible thumper. We don't want to do that, and if we do it, we kind of do it with an attitude, so it glares, and are you with me, church? You don't have to force it. When you're a Christian, just let it shine. Just let it shine. Oh, listen, if you'll just let yourself shine... This is a little bit of a difficult week uh, on Thursday night. <clears throat> we had a great day. Everything was wonderful, like every day is, really. I love to live for God, and sometimes my life gets interrupted. And so at 10 o'clock, my wife walked into the room, and she, she's got, she has, a, uh, has had a health issue for a long time. And, and so she suddenly said, uh, sweetheart, you know, uh, my body's kind of reacting to something. I'm not sure what's going on. And she through her situation, and I never go into great detail because, number one, not, of you, not many of you know everything, but some of you that do, and then I try to be appropriate with how I say it because of the nature of what has happened. But anyway, she was losing some blood. And so she woke me up at 2.30. We were hoping it would kind of go away, but it didn't. And so at 2.30, she woke me up and said, look, I'm a little fearful now. I've lost quite a bit, so we probably need to go. So we got, and we were heading off to UAMS at 2.30. We, we, we go there because her doctors are there that have cared for her for many, 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 many years. And so we get there, and, and, and we're in Little Rock, and I'm on 430, and I'm, you know, I'm going uh, faster than I should because I can tell she's not doing well, you know, and she looks at me. She says, look, I'm about to pass out. So I looked at her. I thought, oh, man, she doesn't look good at all. So we, we get off at 630, and she just sees the word Baptist Hospital. She says, forget UAMS. Get off now. I'm, I'm not going to make it. So I pull off at Baptist Hospital, and I pull into the emergency room, and, man, I have lost it by now. I mean, everybody in the emergency room is cool as a cucumber, beautiful, just wonderful. Hello, sir. And I'm like, no, hello, get us in there. She's dying. You know, I'm freaking out. You know, I wasn't letting my light shine very well at that moment. It was glaring. And I'm just, you know, she's trying to tell me everything's going to be fine. And I'm telling her, no, it's not fine, you know. And so we finally, they calmed both of us down. They were great. They were massively great. So she gets in the hospital. And sure enough, you know. Her situation had, you know, kind of, kind of affected her health that evening, and she had to stay overnight, and there wasn't much I can do with all of the regulations and things, so she allowed me to go to the men's retreat, and uh, I say she allowed, I mean, we agreed it was best, the boys, and so I went with Mojo and Zoe to the men's retreat, and she was there, and Chloe went up to be with her son, and Paula helped, and then I get a text in the middle of the woods. You don't have good signal out there, but this bing, and I'm like, oh, a text, awesome. Sweetheart. I'm like, oh, kids from Caroline. Honey, it's amazing. I know, I know it was tough. I know you had to wake up early. I know, I know it's an inconvenience, but I'm telling you, it's of God. I'm witnessing to these nurses. They're, 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 God is sending me people to talk to about Jesus. And I'm like, why do you have to be so spiritual? <laughs> why, do you, 
does your little light have to shine all the time? Can't you find a better place to shine your light? (laughs) So here she is laying in the hospital, shining her little light. You know, Carol Ann's this little butterfly, I think at least, that flies, flutters everywhere. Just She's got all this sweetness, but she really is that. She lets her little light shine, and she ended up having her own little mini revival in that hospital. It's just her willingness to cooperate with God's plan. And God's plan sometimes is not what we want, but if we'll just submit to whatever he wants, whether it's persecution or sickness or illness or trials or a rough place to work or a rough boss or a mean-spirited waitress, instead of getting upset, maybe what we should do is look look at it as an opportunity to shine and make a difference. Shine our lights. The love of God that's come into us can shine and, and, and make a difference. The Bible talks about Stephen. You remember Stephen, that first deacon? What a testimony. The man was amazing. He was martyred. He was killed for his faith. But here's what it says about that moment. In that moment that Stephen was being martyred, they were gazing at him. All those that sat in the council, rocks in their hands, ready to stone him to death. And here's what they saw. They saw his face. His face was like the face of an angel. In the face of the enemy, can you imagine as they stoned him to death and as Stephen, the Bible says, at the end of the chapter, he looked up into heaven and said, Jesus, I'm ready. I guarantee you those men didn't go to bed for the rest of their lives without seeing Stephen's shining face. How many of those men were converted to Christ? We don't know. Only heaven knows how many men were saved because Stephen, in a tough time, shined his light. Reminds me of the little boy. Again, we go to a child. Hey, Dad, how tall am I? My son, I imagine you're about uh, four and a half feet. Well, Dad, how tall is God? How tall is Jesus, you think? Well, I never thought about it. I'd say around six foot. I'm four and a half feet. Jesus is six feet. He lives in me. So that means he's sticking out, right, Dad? Yeah. He's sticking out. You see, if if Jesus Christ has become your Lord and Savior, he's in you and he is going to shine. Just let him shine. Surrender to him. Number two, there must be sacrifice. How do you do this? How do you do it? You surrender. Just let it happen. Number two, there must be sacrifice. Look at the verse again. It says, let, verse 16, let, let it happen. Let your light so, interesting word here, shine. You say, pastor, what is the significance of this when it comes to sacrifice? Well, well, let me present it to you like this. And you just logically come to this conclusion if you can. There can be no shining without what? Burning. No shining without burning. That's why it was said of John the Baptist in John chapter 5 and verse 35 that he was, here's what he was. He was a burning and a shining light. In fact, they were willing to rejoice because of his light. Many came to Christ because of John's message. He was a burning light. He was a shining light. Question this morning, are you willing to be consumed with Jesus? Are you willing to be fueled 
for the master's fire. Because it will take sacrifice. The response song we're going to sing this morning as we, as, as we conclude the service in just about five minutes. Some of the song you'll be singing as a prayer. And the words to the chorus are, clean my hands, purify my heart. I want to burn for you, only you. Clean my hands, purify my heart. I want to burn for you, only for you. There must be sacrifice. Number three, and I'm done. There must be sanctification. Surrender, sacrifice, and sanctification. This is what our year of discipleship is all about. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, so, this is sanctification. Here here it is. Here's why we shine our lights, because they may see our good works. A life that's been changed by Jesus. A life that's been impacted by the love of God. Here's what people see when you shine your light. They see your good works. And why do they see your good works? For what purpose? So that they ultimately will be able to know God's love and glorify God like you glorify God and go to heaven one day. This is the Christ life. The Christ life is Jesus Christ lives in you. The life you live is Jesus in you. That's the life you live, Presley, at Lake Hamilton every week. It's Jesus in you. Vince, that's the life you live. Jesus in you. Marlena, that's the life you live every day. The Christ life. Jesus in you. I remember when I was a Bible college student, my dad came to visit me, and we went to Chicago to visit some little kids and We used to provide transportation for them to come to church like we did here for many, many, many years. It was a great ministry. It had a a great season at Gospel Light. And I was with my dad, and I took him to downtown Chicago where we were visiting that day. We went up to a third story of a very scary apartment. But when you're raised in New Orleans, you know, and you you, kind of get used to your surroundings and Chicago, I, I didn't hold much fear for me. I just, I just saw people that needed Christ. And, you know, I'm sure there were scary things happening all around. But we believe God protects us, right? And we use good common sense. So we're upstairs. and My dad wasn't so convinced that that was the way to handle it. But we went up these third, three floors of stairs. A little boy there and his mom, I'd heard that his dad got thrown in jail for drug possession. That he had taken all their food stamps and government assistance and he had taken that and bought drugs and meth. And so they were, they had nothing. So we knocked on the door. The little boy came to the door, yelled for his mom to come to the door before he let us in. And the mom was embarrassed to let us in because the house, the apartment was empty. There was nothing there but a lamp. One little lamp on the floor. He had no food. And so as I introduced myself and told them why we were there just to, to help, they said, well, you know, thank you. And I said, well, listen, what can we do for you? And as soon as I said that, I'm thinking, why did I ask that question? I know what I need to do. So my dad and I, I said, we'll be right back. So we left and found a grocery store nearby. And I said, Dad, if you'll pitch in 50, I'll pitch in 50. That's $100. We can do some damage, you know, to their kitchen. We can get some good stuff. You know, Dad, like Lucky Charms and Fruity Pebbles. And... Can I get an amen, kids? Amen. Stop serving your kids fiber. One, please. They don't want it. They want marshmallows in their cereal. What? 
What kid or grown adult wouldn't want that? Anyway. So we went out and bought all these goodies, and man, we, we loaded them up. My dad and I were so excited. It was a lot tougher getting up those stairs because we had about, you know, 50 pounds worth of groceries. We get up the stairs. I knock on the door again. She comes to the door. She's weeping. She knows what we have. She lets us back in. My dad and I are unloading all these groceries, putting them everywhere and having a time, you know. She's crying, and he's just having the time. He sees the cereals and the little, you know, snacks and the cookies and you know, he's just having a blast, little six-year-old boy. Finally, we get finished with all that. We tell him we love him and God loves him. And, you know, we'd love to pick up their son to go to church if, if, if she would be okay with that. And we finish all that. And then we walk out and the little boy says something to me that I've never forgotten. You can tell I've never forgotten it. It's the greatest compliment I've ever been paid in my entire 56 years of life. He said, hey, sir. And I turned around as I was about to put my hands on the door and walk out. He said, and I said, yeah, yeah, yes, son. He said, are you Jesus? And I said, well, no, I'm not, but I want to be just like him. I want to be just like him. See, that's what this is all about. This is all about being like Jesus. This whole gathering, this whole thing we call church, this whole year of discipleship, everything we've sung this morning, honestly, it's all about being like Jesus. Can we, can we agree that, that Christ Jesus is worthy of our lives to be surrendered, to be sacrificed, and to be sanctified unto him? Our world is lost in darkness. Next week, we'll continue this little mini-series on the theme, and then the final week, we'll challenge you to sign up to become a part of this next phase. It's a commitment, yes. You'll find more about it in the next couple of weeks. But I ask you this, if you want to be a light for Jesus, it might be something you want to consider. Are you willing to be a burning and shining light for Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, wow, I, I, I don't know that I've ever truly had a relationship with Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever really come into that place where he is the master of my life. Well, we're speaking to you this morning as well. We invite you this morning to come to know Christ. So this morning, if at some point, you know, you, you felt or heard a, a still small voice or a little, a little knocking, sometimes it's your heart kind of beats a little faster at some point of the message, that's a knock. It's never really very hard because Jesus is a perfect gentleman. He'll never barge into your life. He, he wants to be invited in. And so he taps. And he says, I'd love to be your, your Savior. Would you say yes today? If you've never been saved, if you've never trusted Christ, he invites you today to become his child. And if you have been saved, if you are a Christian, then let's get our lights from underneath the bed, the basket, the bushel, whatever translation you have, it's all the same. Let's put it as high as we can get it for all the world to see. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Father, I love you. God, I pray that you bless our time together as we conclude this service with a response, a prayer, and a song. God, may we truly come to this place of surrender, 
of sacrifice and of sanctification. Lord, may it be said of us, are you Jesus? And may the answer be no, but I want to be just like you. I want to be just like you. Oh, God, continue to work in our church. You're doing something special. We we take no credit. We just thank you for visiting with us this morning. Please, please hover over this crowd and Lord, dispel any darkness and just show your light in our lives with our testimonies. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?